Chapter 6 Viral An hour later, Jack was on the phone with Magnus Johnson, CEO of Greenleaf Pharmaceutical, sealing the deal and working through logistics. Much to Jack's surprise, Magnus hadn't flinched at his fee or expense policies. He had dealt with the Dutch before, and besides being blunt as butter knives, they never paid full freight on a deal. Obviously, Magnus had been away from home too long and grown soft. The more Jack thought about the Greenleaf deal, the more he wanted to do it. From a scientific and personal interest perspective, this job had his name written all over it. He was an avid cannabis consumer for one, and had developed, well, thanks to his acceleration sessions, an immense database of information on the plant for self-medication and recreational purposes. But he had never seen a large-scale legal cannabis production facility up close and personal and was keenly interested in seeing all the moving parts. The other reason is he'd been looking for an appropriate project to field test his portable DNA sequencing platform he developed. It contained novel reagents and was linked to a custom machine learning platform of his own design. He'd been testing everything he could get his hands on, cannabis included, and more data would only make the platform smarter. Greenleaf would be the perfect place to perform a side-by-side comparison on new sample types. The other and the most intriguing reason was Serena Green. From the moment he saw her jogging, he felt a physical response, which was unusual for a guy that lived in his head. She moved in a way that rivaled her conversational style. Easy and relaxed without the slightest hint of self-consciousness. She was funny, attractive, and authentic. With his brief encounter, he knew he wanted to get to know Serena Green, even if it meant sweaty palms and nervous tics. This was odd for Jack. He was never one to develop an immediate connection with anyone, much less a woman. It normally took a while for anyone to break through his defenses. However, something was different about her, or at least he felt different around her. He would have said yes to the meeting even if it cost him money just so he could get another contact high from her. A $200,000 fee for only three days of work didn't hurt either. Ten stories up in one of Toronto's modern, sleek buildings, Magnus Johnson sat behind a large glass office desk. Expensive shoes parked on the top, powdered with a hint of drywall dust. His office was one of the first build-outs in one of Toronto's new office towers, and he had only been there a week. To him, it felt like home already. That is, if you like your home as antiseptic as a hospital room. He stared at the clean white walls and minimalist furniture while speaking on the phone in a clipped cadence, his Dutch accent kicking in and squaring the corners off his words. He said his goodbyes to Jack Glasser and quickly dialed his boss, Draper. He's on board, Magnus said. He's coming tomorrow to meet for dinner. The job we're hiring him for is to test for a new strain, potentially a new genome we've created. Of course that's not the case, but it should keep him busy. He'll perform his test tomorrow and Friday and present his findings on Saturday and fly back. Will that give you enough time? That'll work, Draper said. Anything unusual? Anything I need to know? If there was, I would have told you, Magnus replied curtly. Draper thanked him and hung up. He still didn't like Magnus and certainly didn't trust him. But he thought for once the Dutch bastard was starting to earn his keep. Magnus was no fan of Draper either. Draper was a control freak with his hand in every aspect of the business. 
He was incapable of delegating and certainly incapable of encouraging, much less tolerating, entrepreneurialism of any sort under his watch. Magnus knew that he'd need to watch his step around him for the time being, at least until the board meeting. Magnus was close, very close to executing a power grab to emancipate himself from the shackles of his current role and to remove Draper. He had been working several board members relentlessly, in secret, and almost had the dominoes lined up so they'd fall the way he wanted. If no one got cold feet, he could execute his plan. He knew it was a tall order, but he was in too deep to turn back now. He just needed to make sure that Draper didn't catch a whiff of treason until it was too late to intervene. He called Dr. Gene Gomes, a scientist on loan to Greenleaf from one of the organization's charter members, Agrifuse a huge multinational conglomerate that sold everything from seeds to fertilizers and pesticides, as well as highly bioengineered products for the agricultural industry. They were the 800-pound agricultural gorilla, extracting money at every point in the supply chain. Gomes was the scientific lead on a very important side project that Magnus and Glenn Halvers, the CEO of Agrifuse and an organization board member, had concocted. Gomes had been one of the foremost virologists, focused on delivering targeted beneficial genetic mutations to patients via viruses. But he ran afoul of his grant mandate and subsequently became a pariah in academic circles. Glenn Halvers had effectively picked him up out of the academic dustbin and given him the funding and the leeway to start again. However, instead of delivering beneficial mutations to humans, Gomes was tasked with constructing a unique viral agent designed to target specific plants that constituted the bulk of the world's major food crops to create a unique blight, then develop a patented cure. The idea was simple. Create the problem and own the solution. A food blight and a cure. It would be worth billions. A problem and a solution that would make pesticide-resistant seeds look like small change. The only issue was that engineering a food blight was harder than it sounded. Nature was notoriously brutal, but elegant and resilient in response to disease. Magnus was getting nervous that it was taking so long, but Halvers had assured him that Gomes was the very best and that they were near completion. It was September, but if Gomes wasn't ready and Magnus went to the December board meeting empty-handed, Draper would retain his position while Magnus would be left alone on an island or worse. He knew Halvers wanted the project to work, and his failure would likely leak out. He knew that keeping disgruntled conspirators quiet was always difficult, and he'd end up with a target on his back. If Draper caught a hint of anything treasonous, he'd be dead. Gomes had to finish in time. Magnus called Gomes. Just wanted to let you know we'll have a visitor tomorrow. You'll need to make sure that anything that may point to our side project needs to be secured and out of sight. The gentleman that we'll need to entertain will supposedly be evaluating a new strain of cannabis we're growing and testing it to see if we've created a new species, Magnus said. Gomes answered, sounding frazzled and out of breath, which was the norm. What the hell are you talking about? We don't have anything like that going on. I know that. Just come up with something plausible. We'll just need to send our guests on a wild goose chase and keep them occupied. Can you at least do that? Magnus's nerves were beginning to fray. That's one day's notice. Seriously? Gomes paused and kept going. Can you at least give me a little background? Like, 
mainly why the hell I have to babysit someone when I'm completely behind on a project. That's what I'm here for, after all. Magnus sat silent, employing Draper's well-curated, menacing silence. He heard Gomes squirm and swallow hard on the other end of the phone. Gomes quickly realized he was in no position to ask questions, and he backed down. Sure, I'll figure something out. Pull something out of my ass. What's this guy's level of competency? Well, I think it's safe to assume he won't be an idiot, though we can only hope. This visitor have a name? Gomes asked. Jack Glasser. Magnus was unable to hide his exasperation. Every scientist he had ever met thought that they knew everyone who was anyone with a PhD, and Gomes was no exception. Look, Magnus continued, I don't have time for this. I'll be at the facility in the morning. Just clean up and be prepared to show him something. Magnus hung up quickly. Gomes stood still for a moment, phone to his head, lost in thought. He had heard Glasser's name before. Charles, the tall, pockmarked golfer who'd listened in to Jack and Serena's conversation at the golf course, was back at his apartment sipping cheap bourbon, on the phone waiting for his partner to pick up. He physically cringed every time he spoke with her. He had been in the organization for years and knew he had reached the pinnacle of his not-so-illustrious career. He had topped out at Field Services, another bullshit corporate title that someone dreamed up to describe what he did, which was really anything and everything Draper told him to do. Normally, it was the shit jobs no one wanted. Stakeouts, surveillance, planning evidence, or the occasional accidental drowning. He did it all. Draper was the head of the organization, and Draper's girl, as the older chauvinistic men in the organization called her, was his chief of staff, protege, enforcer, VP, or whatever you wanted to call her. When she spoke, everyone knew she spoke with the authority of the boss. Draper was scary enough, an old-school Special Forces skill set stuffed into a custom-made suit with an MBA, but she made Draper look like a cupcake. Charles had worked with her before, and it had been stressful, but nothing like the past ten months. She was tall and blonde with looks to kill for, but she was a serious pro whose moods were as unpredictable as they were unsettling. To say that she was lacking in interpersonal skills would have been too simple an explanation. She could be engaging and demure when she wanted to be, then turn on a dime, her fury and ruthlessness as intense as a South Florida hurricane, either a sociopath or an award-worthy actor. She was a toxic combination of crazy and skill that made a seasoned professional like him twitch every time the phone rang. Knowing she was expecting a full report, he made sure his glass of bourbon was topped off before he called. Looks like a done deal. Jack's leaving tomorrow for a few days. I didn't hear the itinerary, but I'm sure we're going to find out soon enough, he said. How'd they do it? They lined up a fake consulting job for him at Greenlee, Magnus's operation. They baited him with some new girl, Serena or something or other, set it up. She's a cute one, Charles caught himself before he said any more. His entire body flinched as soon as he said it. His boss may have been attractive, even beautiful, but she never played nice with other female co-stars in the organization. He was immediately pissed at himself for mentioning anything about the other girl. Draper's girl offered up a moment of uncomfortable silence herself. She thought, Oh, God, it's bad enough I have to work with a dumb bastard that looks like he was hit with a sack of nickels. But he's pervy, too? 
She blew out a measured breath and broke her silence. Really? That's great. Hopefully you snapped a few pictures of her she can hold up with one hand later. She quickly pivoted to Magnus. I don't like that Dutch bastard. Don't trust him at all. If Magnus is involved, the odds of this going sideways are doubled. Charles grunted in response as sweat pooled in his pores. He knew better than to say a word. I've got the alarm codes for the Glasser office and a cute little outfit from one of our military connections. It's no little black dress, but it should tip the odds in our favor, she said. I'm sure you'll get what you need, hoping the power of positive thinking would soon put her in his rearview mirror. If we don't, we're moving to Plan C, she said. Plan C, he asked, not quite understanding. Yeah, Plan C. A hole in the fucking desert.